Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. From Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and it reads, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, With this series, we're talking about family and family dynamics and the family circles that we're in, and uh, really... Uh, excited about this series because we're talking about real life. You know, it's not just theoretical, it's not just theology, it's like this intersection point of what we believe and where we live our real lives, right? Uh, last week talking about marriage, this week talking about parenting, next week talking about work and our work families, right? Because we all got work families at some point in our lives. Uh, and then lastly, our church family. And with this series, with Family Matters, we've also got a handout for you if you'd like it with discussion questions and recommended readings. Um, We're talking about parenting today because parenting matters. And I've got a bunch of parenting books because this is what parents do, right? We have a kid and we just like hit up Amazon. Or uh, back in my day, it was Barnes and Nobles and Borders. Uh, And then those went bye-bye. But I've got some, some resources because there's so many different parenting books out there. We're like, which ones are the right ones? And I think I found the right one. No, I, I think I found some really practical, real life, um, how does faith meet family sort of books. And so uh, a couple of different resources here, just one on 14 gospel principles on family, one on raising passionate Jesus followers, households of, or habits of a household, and then this one, Parenting, Getting It Right by Andy Stanley. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this one uh, today too, but It's all about just giving you resources and tools, and so I'm going to have those available if you want to take a look at those, or we could talk more. Uh, But parenting, right? So much fun. And some of you today are like, well, I'm done with parenting, or I never was a parent, so I guess today doesn't apply to me. And we want to mentally check out. And I would encourage you, uh, if you're an empty nester, or maybe you don't have kids of your own, today uh, today is impactful for all of us because we all have influence with the next generation. We all carry a responsibility uh, to be influential in the next generation as well, whether we have biological kids or not, um, or our kids are all grown up and out of the house, right? We have an impact and we have an influence, and what do we do with that influence? How do we make an impact? And so as we talk about this, um, we're talking about how do we love our kids so that they know that they're loved by Jesus, and how do I love our kids so that they love me? right? Because I don't want to be a jerk to my parents or to my kids. And as funny as that sounds, it, what it does is it gives me a roadmap or it gives me a destination for that, uh, that topic of parenting. Because parenting, we could go a hundred different ways. We could talk about a whole bunch of different things. But I figure if we don't know where we're headed, we're just going to drive aimlessly around this topic, kind of like a road trip. Um, and how many of you enjoy family road trips? There's a few hands, a few hands. My family and I were planning one for this summer, uh, and as we were talking about a family road trip, 
one thing we had to talk about is where do we want to go, right? Where do we want to end up? And that became a point of conversation. It was like, well, let's go to Mount Rushmore or let's go to Silverwood. And I'm like, I think we could go farther. Where else could we go? And, and I, I want to go places we've either never been or places that we can show our kids some cool stuff. And then we started dreaming about, could we make it to Niagara Falls? Could we make it? And I said, well, if we're getting to Niagara Falls, we're really close to Boston. And you know what's going to be in Boston on July 29th, 29th is the Seattle Mariners are going to be playing at Fenway Park baseball's cathedral, and I've never been there to see the green monster, and I always said, I think we could make it. <laughs> she said, you're driving, so good luck. Uh, but all of that conversation and topics, if you don't know where you're headed, it's going to affect the whole road trip along the way. The stops you make, the durations of stops that you make, there's going to be pit stops and U-turns and detours and all of that along the way, but at least you know this is where we're headed, right? And with parenting, sometimes we have kids or there's kids in our lives and we're just like, what do we do with them? Where are we headed? What are we, what are we doing? And we don't have a destination in mind of like, this is the goal other than like, keep them safe. And that might be a goal for you. As April and I have explored this topic and grown as parents, one of the things that we have just boiled it down to is we want our kids to love Jesus and we want them to love us, right? But I can't make them love Jesus and I can't make them love us, but I can create an environment and create a culture where they know they are loved by Jesus and they are loved by their parents. That's one thing we can't control. I can't control the kid, right? Nobody can. And there's more than one destination, or there's more than one destination. There's more than one route to that destination. There's not one way to get there for them to know that they're loved by Jesus and loved by their parents. There's multiple routes to that destination, but that's our destination that we want to head to with the intent that hopefully when they are old enough, they'll fall in love with Jesus. And hopefully when they're old enough, they'll still love mom and dad, right? Call them boomerang kids. I'm going to let them go, and hopefully they come back, right? <laughs> they want to be around us when they don't have to be around us. And that's the idea. But I'm realizing with this topic of parenting is as a parent or as somebody who's talking about parenting too, sometimes we get into, well, what's the formula? What's the route to getting to that destination? And, you know, some of us really like detailed maps and routes to getting places, and we like formulas, but formulas don't work with people. Can we get an amen to that? Formulas don't work with people because some of, us, some of us, especially as Christian parents, we're reading the Proverbs and it says, raise up your kids in this way or teach your kids to do this. Or we read this passage and we say, okay, if I just do this, everything's honky-dory and they all love me. We create formulas. Formulas don't work with people because people have a will and a mind of their own. And you're dealing with little people who are going to become big people and those big people are going to make choices. I can't change the outcome, but I can change the culture that my kids grow up in. I can change the environment. I can strive for healthy relationships. I can create a space where they feel loved by Jesus and loved by their parents. And I'm not going to deal with formulas today, but hopefully some guideposts along the way, right? Kind of like on the freeway, you're, you're headed this direction, you're going in this way. It's not a formula. It's not a step-by-step -step process, but there are some guideposts or signposts along the way to help us get to where we want to go. 
to where our kids know that they're loved by Jesus and they're loved by their parents or they're loved by the, the adults that God has put in their lives. Sometimes God, uh, God fills in the gaps where biology fails or where biology makes mistakes. Mom or dad or aunts or uncles or grandma or grandpa, God's going to use you in this room to be a pivotal adult figure in the young life of somebody else, whether or not you share DNA. I can tell you that from my own story and from the story of many others. And so again, this morning, do not discredit what we're talking about simply because maybe your kids have moved out or because you don't have kids in, in your family right now. So when we look at this passage in Ephesians 6, we see the Apostle Paul writing to some Christian parents, right? He's writing to the Christians in Ephesus, and he's telling them to love their kids so that they would experience wholeness and health in their homes, in their households. And we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is right, the right thing to do. Kids are to submit to their parents with obedience, through obedience. And that word obey is a stronger expression than what was used last week when we're talking about wives submitting to husbands and husbands dying for their wives and all of that. If you missed last week, check it out online. But this word of obedience is a stronger term because you're dealing with young people. You're dealing with people that are much more dependent, not independent, and teaching them to obey. And what's interesting is I thought about this, and I thought when this letter was written to the church in Ephesus, how many little kids listen to the reading of this letter? How many little kids are in the room? I mean, think about the little kids in this room, right? I joked about it, but we've got little kids in the room. How many of them are taking notes? Obey mom and dad. Got it, pastor. You got it. I have no idea how many young people heard Paul's letter when it was read to the uh, Ephesian church. But what I do know is that there were parents who heard it. And when the parents heard it, what are they picking up on? This is God creating culture in a household, a culture of obedience, because it's, it's not intended for health purposes and wholeness purposes, that kids are the, the runners of the home. That kids just have actions and behaviors going unchecked. And attitudes with a, a complete disrespect for any authority or, or adult or person in the room. That's not healthy. That's not wholeness. That's not going to bring unity within the home. And so Paul is writing this, and yes, the kids might hear it and say, okay, I need to do this, I need to apply it, depending on what age they are, but there's a lot of parents reading that and saying, this is something we need to teach our kids. Yeah, amen. See, she agrees. Told you. But it's up to the parents to create a culture defined by this. This following of instruction, this obedience, this submission to authority. And why is obedience important to Paul? He then ties it in in verse 2 and 3, and he brings it back to a text that many of them would have been super familiar with, the Ten Commandments. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, he says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Paul's linking this to something that they would have known very well. They would have known this text. They would have known exactly what he was talking about with the commandment and with the promise and all of this. And he's linking this obedience not to just an orderly household. What is he linking it to? He's showing that obedience is a form of honor. And honor, 
To honor your parents is to estimate, to affix value to someone. To treat them with respect says, I value you this much, I will treat you this way. Think about if you, if you interacted with somebody that you had a high regard for, right? You're going to treat them well. Why? Because you value them. If you met a celebrity that was on your Instagram feed and you ran into them at Target, you would treat them well. You wouldn't just be like, what up, man? You'd be like, oh my God. And you would treat them, you would elevate them with value and significance. And what Paul is saying is that kids are to honor their parents, meaning they affix a value to them to say, mom, dad, adult figure in my life, I value you. You matter to me. And what you're saying to me matters because I know that you love me. That what you're saying is not just to control me or just to put me in a box, but it's because you love me. I get in arguments with my kids, right? We bump heads, just like every parent-child relationship. And we have to tie that back of, I'm telling you this not to control you. I'm telling this to you because... I love you, and I want the best for you. Because he's talking about this honor, it becomes this characteristic of the household as kids are obeying and following instruction and, and honoring their parents in this way, what's going to happen? He says, man, this is a commandment with a promise. And it's not to create a formula, because like I said, formulas and people don't mix, right? But it is, it, is a, it is a promise to show this is what is potentially possible in the household, that you would experience the wholeness and, and, and health and encouragement and life and, 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 and design that God would have for the home. That if kids are honoring their parents within the home, and then we're going to get to the parents dynamic in just a moment, but if all of this is taking place, what, what are we going to experience? We're going to experience what that commandment promises, things that will go well for you and you will last long on earth. doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect and made in the shade with pink lemonade, but what it does mean is that you would create a culture in your home where there is support, love, encouragement, humility, honesty, trust. It's not always going to be formulaic in that way, but what he's saying is that if, if honor is a fixture, you're going to experience and tap into what God has designed for the household to experience, that kids would grow up in a place where they feel loved by, by their parents in a way that their heavenly father would love them. Isn't that what every parent would want? If you are a parent following Jesus, don't you want your kid to experience the love of Jesus through you? You don't want them to feel controlled by you or manipulated by you or under your pressure. You want them to know, I am loved dearly by the very God that my parents claim to follow, and I'm loved dearly by my parents. And so Paul then shifts his perspective off of the kids and off of this honor idea to say that this honor, this value is going to be reciprocated, not just from the kids towards the parents, but he's now going to take it to the parents. And he directs his attention towards the parents in verse 4. And this is the, the final verse of our, our passage today, but we're just going to live in this for a moment. Verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. 
just going to pause right there on that verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. In the ancient language, because it wasn't written in English back in the day, the uh, original language that this is written in, that word fathers can also be synonymous with parents. So moms, you're included in this as well. This is not just dads that provoke their, parent, their kids to anger. This is for parents. Parents are supposed to raise their kids in such a way that their parenting matters to them. Pastor Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying this, ministers and Sunday school teachers were never meant to be substitutes for mothers and fathers. Let that just sit with us for a moment. Ministers and Sunday school teachers were never meant to be substitutes for mothers and fathers. Parents carry the responsibility to care and lead and disciple their children. It's our responsibility as parents. Sunday school teachers and ministers and volunteers, they're, they're supposed to be teammates to you, not the sole disciplers of those kids. But he says to do it in a way where you're not provoking them. Do not provoke. And when I was thinking about this idea of provoking, it reminded me of the classic movie. I was in a kid's mindset during this preparation. But I thought of Free Willy. How many of you remember Free Willy, right? I got to see the real Free Willy one time. It was, it was legit. Keiko the whale, before he passed. He, yeah. I uh, got to see him in Oregon. But everybody remember Free Willy, right? And he was, during this scene, I remember this scene where he's supposed to perform. And underneath the glass, or underneath the water, is this glass viewing area in Free Willy. And you can't see it from the surface level, but what's happening underneath is the kids are banging on the glass and making noise and just doing all this stuff to create chaos, right? And Willie, poor old Willie, just swimming around, and he's just provoked. He's just stirred up to such an anxious state as a whale. He can't perform the tricks that the instructor on the top level is trying to get him to do. And I thought about that in terms of this discussion and what Paul is saying is parents don't provoke your kids, and thinking about we expect our kids to perform, but beneath the surface, behind closed doors, when nobody else is looking, what are we doing? We're banging on the glass. We're yelling at them. We're screaming at them. We're telling them to perform. We're provoking them in such a way. That word provoke is to irritate, to exasperate, to stir up. Provoking them with unfair demands or favoritism or pointless rules. Sometimes we get upset about things that really don't matter, but we just want to, mm, we've had a bad day at work, and we've misdirected that anger towards trying to control them. Or flexing our control and our power. Well, I'm the parent, you're not. How many of us have ever said that? This unexpected temper. We provoke our kids, and I think it's a good reminder to us, parents, that God has given us influence in these young people to care for them and love them like Jesus loves them, not just the way that you want to control them, to contain them, to get them to perform. And if we aren't seeing a culture of honor and obedience and wholeness in our families, it's not the kid's fault. Who should the responsibility be lying on? We have to do what we can do 
to reevaluate our approach. Remembering that our kids are put under our control, our control, our supervision, our care by God, the creator. And we need to take that with great care and responsibility. I, I imagine Paul's audience is reading this and just having a gut check moment because kids were not a valuable part of society in that time. They were an asset in, in the future, but they were a nuisance and a responsibility. I gotta just take care of them. But to love and to care and to treat them in a way that doesn't just push them and push their buttons and irritate and exasperate. Instead, Paul paints a different picture. And this is the pivot he makes in verse four going on. He says, rather bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Bring them up, that phrase there. Bringing them up is actually like nourishing them, feeding them, not just physically, but in all areas of life. That we nourish these kids at whatever age. We're feeding them, we're strengthening them, we're building them up. The message translation uh, of the Bible writes it like this, and maybe this will just hit home for, for some of us, and we'll just we'll gravitate towards the, the translation. It says, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. The NLT says, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord, and we're like, ah, how do we do that? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But I love this simple translation. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. When your kids are young, they don't know where they're going right? Wherever you're at. You're in a busy crowd somewhere. When we go to Mariners games and it's crowded, which it used to be, it won't be this season apparently because they stink again. When we go to Mariners games and it's crowded, we would have to tell them, grab onto my hand. That's just my Mariner fandom coming out. Sorry. I will repent. But what would I say? I'd say, grab a hold of my hand. Hold tight and I will lead you where we're going. I'll take you to our seats. I will take you to the car. I will take you to the train, wherever we are headed. We are gonna go get ice cream. You don't know where it is. Let me take you by the hand and lead you there. Well, as parents, our responsibility is to expect that they, just, they won't just know by accident where Jesus is. We take them by the hand and lead them to the master. And it's a good evaluation for ourselves, self-evaluation of what am I leading my kids towards? What am I leading the next generation towards? And three things that we could think about. Am I leading them towards compliance? Sometimes we just want to raise our kids so that they stop things and avoid things, and there's rules, and we tell them what not to do, and we avoid the wrongs and the negatives, and just do the good things, right? Just fall into compliance. And we raise our kids in such a way where it's just so structured and and it, but it's not leading them towards Jesus. We're just leading them to comply. And we lean into that word earlier, obey. You need to obey me. Why? So that you'll comply with me as the leader. And I'm just raising these little followers of Sean that comply. Clean the dishes. Clean your room. Pick up your laundry. Do this. Sit there. Don't use that fork. Don't say that. Don't text that. Stand up straight. Never say that to somebody. <laughs> they don't know that you think that. Don't say that, right? And we teach them to just comply, good manners, right? And that's the other side of it, is then we teach them to cooperate. I'll lead you towards being cooperative. Be a good person. 
Be a good friend. Sharing is caring. Yeah, you should share your toys. Why? Because it's a good thing to do. And I want you to be a good kid, and I want you to be a good grown-up. We teach them manners. We teach them to be polite. We teach them to be nice. We teach them to be a good person that can coexist with other people and cooperate with their classmates, their teachers, their siblings, their parents, everybody, right? Sometimes that's what I find, that I'm leading them towards either compliance or cooperation. And, and this scripture right here just challenges all of us. Whether they're your biological kids or not, am I leading them towards compliance and cooperation or am I leading them towards Christ? I want you to discover the true depth that Jesus loves you. I want you to discover how to read God's word in a way that isn't archaic and boring. I want you to discover that when you pray, it's not just bouncing off, off the walls, but they are directed towards heaven and that your creator hears you. I want you to treat this person differently, but not, not so that they like you or so you get something, but I want you to treat them that way because that's how Jesus would treat them. I want you to treat your sibling that way and talk to them in that way. Not so that I don't hear you fighting and I can watch my show. See, that's cooperation and that's compliance. I want you to treat your sibling that way so that you learn to love your sibling like Jesus loves them. Point them towards being Christ-like, not just compliant and cooperative. Is it a good thing to avoid bad decisions? Yes, right? Is it a good thing to follow the law? Is it a good thing to be a nice person and share your toys? Absolutely. Like, we're not saying that cooperative and compliance are bad. I just think it's incomplete. As Christian parents, as people that are trying to follow Jesus, that's what we want to lead our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and our teammates and our, uh, our, 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 our kids and students and anybody we have influence with. I want to point them towards being like Jesus. Yes. Another amen, this time from AI. <laughs> we're getting it. And we're wondering, well, what does it look like to point him towards Christ? Uh, in his book, Andy Stanley and his wife, uh, Sandra, lay it out in five simple things that they would focus. And their kids have now grown and left the home. And, and I just wanted to give this to you as something where you're like, man, pointing towards Christ seems big and ambiguous, right? Can you narrow it down, Sean? Here's five practical things that we can point our kids to, point the next generation to. One is that we emphasize a personal relationship with God. They're not inheriting their parents' faith. We want them to discover their own. Am I pointing them towards Jesus so that they would just follow my steps or that they would discover Jesus? Point them towards their own. Help them discover a, 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 a set of spiritual rhythms and practices, not just rituals, while we pray before we eat, do you know why? No idea. I got to read my Bible before I can watch TV. Why? Because dad said so. Because that's what you do on Sunday. You go to church. No, we want to we teach them and point them to, I want you to discover Jesus. Like for us, we haven't baptized our kids yet. And to some, we're heathens and pagans. I got a 12-year-old that hasn't been baptized yet. What are you doing? You're a pastor. What if she, ah. I want her to make that decision. We want her to make that decision, not me. We're emphasizing that decision is her decision to make, not mom and dad's. 
And when she's ready, and she's seen people get baptized, and we've talked about it, and when she's ready, it's going to matter to her. She won't be like my story where she got baptized when she was seven, and then when she's 16, she's like, actually, I want to do this for myself. Second thing that he, uh, they encourage to point them towards Jesus is teach your kids to pay attention to their heart. Jesus cares about their heart, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our lives are dictated by what's going on internally, so help them to discover what they're feeling and their motivations and their passions and their desires. And some of them aren't good, right? They need to learn that, and they need to learn the good stuff that's going on in there. And they need to discover that and, and follow that and be able to articulate that. Teach them to pay attention to their heart. Not just their feelings of like, this made me sad, but like, what is motivating you down below? Why did you say that? Why did you cheat on that test? What drove you to that? Well, I just didn't want to fail. Why didn't you want to fail? If I fail, you're going to be mad at me. You think I'm going to be mad at you because you failed a math test? This isn't a real conversation. I'm not like disclosing family secrets here. But you teach your kids to dig a little bit deeper beyond just the surface. Teach them to listen and pay attention to their hearts. Thirdly, he points out praying together in all seasons, not just at mealtimes or at Thanksgiving, but teaching them in all seasons that we can run to Jesus. You're scared at night, having nightmares? Let's pray about it. You got an owie? Let's pray about it. I mean, we've prayed for so many owies, so many owies. I feel like sometimes every night, okay, it's called a hangnail, son. Let's pray. It's called dry skin. Let's get some lotion on it, and we'll anoint you with it and pray for you, Right? But we're going to pray in all seasons. We're going to pray when we're not so happy with each other. We're going to pray when we're excited. We're going to pray when we're going on a new journey before we get on an airplane and some of our family is nervous. Okay, let's take a moment. We'll pray. We're going to pray in all seasons, not just the bad, not just when we want something, but in all things, we're going to be people who talk to Jesus. Number four, sharing about our own journeys. Let your kids in what's going on in your journey. And you have to be age appropriate, obviously, with this. But you're their heroes. Most of us grow up with our parents or grandparents or some adult figure in our lives being a, a figure of inspiration. And they inspire us to go to college or pursue our dreams or do all these things, right? Let's inspire by peeling back the curtain and letting our kids see, I had to really have my faith stretched in this moment of my life, in this season. When was the last time our kids saw us take a step of faith where we had to depend on God and not our own? Sharing about our own journeys, giving them an example worth following. And lastly, to stay engaged in your church. A lot of times with kids, it's like, when do we not force them to go to church and all of these things? And Kids and students, they need a place to grow with their peers and engage and, and, and learn about Jesus. And that needs to be a regular rhythm of their life. And if this is lacking, this is a way that you can model that to them. But you, you're not just saying, I need this for me. It's, I need this for my kids as well. And if you would look in your church, this is where I disagree with this book, okay? Great on a lot of things. Here's the thing I don't like. It says, if it's lacking in your church, leave and go find a new one. I'll just let that sit for a second. Just throw it. I would encourage you, 
that that just feeds a consumer mindset within the church. It's just my opinion. I would say if, it's, if you see something lacking, be a part of the solution, not a complaint. If something is lacking in our, in our youth ministry, be a part of the solution. If something is lacking in our kids' ministry, if you're feeling like, man, I want our kids to be doing this more or praying or let's do some sort of event or let's, you know, don't just complain or don't just head off and go somewhere else. But let's see, can we be a part of the solution? And maybe that solution resides right here within our walls or maybe it's partnering with an existing ministry in another church because we're one body, right? We're all going uh, to, to Team Jesus, it doesn't all have to be manufactured and created here, but what I, what I disagree in this is, well, if you don't see what you like, then leave. And I would just encourage us, if you value your kids growing in Jesus, be a part of the solution with us. And it comes with intentionality, all of those things, personal relationship and paying attention to your heart, praying, going to church, not just saying this is what we do on Sunday, but like encouraging them like, this is why we go to church, and sharing about your own journey. That's gonna take some intentionality, and this, this, this passage ends with some of this intentionality here in verse four. It says, rather bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. That discipline... And instruction are two different things. Discipline is the structure and boundaries and training, which is a good thing. And some of us as parents, we don't really like that. But our kids need some structure. They need some boundaries. Or it comes with instruction. Like we want to just push them into the deep end of the pool, but we don't want to teach them how to swim. Well, we got to teach them how to swim, right? And some of us, myself included, are great instructors. We like to talk it to death. Anybody? Anybody? I hope I'm not alone in this. The instruction is the teaching and the training with words and conversations and talking it out and exploring it in a safe setting where it's like, hey, can I prepare you for what we're about to go do? We're about to go to somebody's house and they're going to serve us food and you don't know what's coming. <laughs> and it may be undercooked and not to your liking, but we're going to be compliant, cooperative people right now. And we're going to eat it. But I love you so much. If you would just eat a few bites of it, I'll get you a Big Mac on the way home. All right? <laughs> I instruct them, create some structure, and some rewards. But I think what Paul is saying when he says you got to discipline, you got to instruct, is it's not going to happen accidentally. You're not just going to raise Christ followers on accident or because you brought them to church. If you teach a kid to drive a car, what do you give them? You give them discipline and you give them instruction. There's discipline and boundaries. Here's an empty parking lot where you can't get hurt. That's a boundary. We're gonna stay in this parking lot or you're gonna drive with an adult or no, you don't get to drive with your phone. Nope, mm -mm. turn the radio off, right? There's boundaries, there's discipline, there's structure. And then you give them instruction. You don't just put them behind the wheel and say, good luck, buddy. You talk about it. I haven't trained my children yet, so this is all theory. But you gotta explain the buttons and the consoles and the pedals and all of those things, right? You gotta instruct and you gotta discipline. There's a combination, we gotta do that with all things, whether it's personal hygiene or how to use a phone and social media and technology or how to have conflict with your friends or your family or how to follow Jesus. 
And we're not going to discipline and correct in a way that provokes them to anger. We're going to do it in a way, as Paul said, where we honor them, where we love them, where we elevate them, where we care for them, where they know that it's safe to make mistakes along the way because what do kids often do? Make mistakes because they don't know everything. But I'm going to love you and I'm going to be there and we're going to have some discipline and we're going to have some instruction. And that discipline and instruction, this is the thing that I think Andy Stanley gets right in his book. I keep pointing to that book, but there are some very practical things in it. And one of the things that I hadn't realized until he put it into words was the different stages of parenting. And I won't spend a ton of time on it. If you want to talk more about it, great. But it just, it speaks to this idea of the discipline and instruction is going to change as your kid ages. But often we get stuck in one mode and we parent our kids whether they're three or 13, through the same lens in the same manner. And it challenged me as I read this, the different stages. You have the discipline years of zero to five where you're creating structure and you're creating uh, you know, this principle of obedience and teaching about consequences and boundaries. And there's a discipline season of life. And it's not a formula, but it's just you know, a general principle that like, when they're really young, you have to teach them those things. You have to create that discipline and that structure. Then it moves into this training years because kids are going to grow to an age and they're like, but why can't I touch that? Why can't I do that? And so the training comes into this teaching and, and, and explaining the why and the values and the principles of why we don't do what we do or why we do what we do, right? And then it moves into coaching. And this is where I think I didn't realize I would stay in that discipline and training, right? I would stay in, here's the structure and let me talk you. And this is the challenge as I'm moving into this season as a parent, I'm going to have to learn this lesson, is to learn to coach my kids. And as a coach, and I coach sports, I don't get to play. I sometimes have to stand on the sideline unless I want a technical foul. I have to stay on the sidelines, and I have to inspire from the side and let them play the game. And this is where I was getting pastored as a parent in, this, in reading about this. And it's so practical, I just, that's why I wanted to, pass this along to any, anybody in the room and anybody watching is like that coaching element where I'm connecting and I'm encouraging and I'm creating safe spaces for them to make mistakes and learn and grow, but they're playing the game, not me. And I can't parent my thir almost 13-year-old the same way I did when she was three. That's where I'm going to provoke her to anger. You see the difference? I'm going to have to learn how to coach her. And then we move into this new season, and I'm not there yet, and I, I'm excited when it comes, but that friendship season, I joked about boomerang kids. Let him go and see that they come back. That friendship season of being an empty nester and they're old enough, and how do you love your kids when they're grown up? And it's different. I'm not there. I'm not in that season. And some of you are, and some of you are living in that right now or about to explore that. But it's developing a safe space where you can still talk and you can still encourage and you can still support. But the dynamics change because they're not living at home or they're grown-ups. But I think as a parent, I've got to learn to grow in my instruction and my discipline because my kids are going to age into different seasons whether or not my parenting does it, right? 
So I've got to adapt. I've got to grow so that I can create a safe space for them to know that they're loved by Jesus and they're loved by mom and dad. That's the ultimate goal. That's the destination for us. As simplistic as it sounds, I want my kids, when we move into that friendship stage and they move out someday, they know mom and dad weren't perfect, but Jesus loves me and my parents love me. And I pray and I ache and I hope that they'll love Jesus and they'll love their mom and dad. But I can't control that. So when it comes to parenting matters, I've got to focus on what I can do, not what's out of my control and what's in God's hands. Amen? Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.